<laughs> I hate that new feature. It's always disarming. <laughs> All right. So chapter eight, what did we learn? This was a, a really fun chapter. I remember going into it thinking, okay, what what else is Avraham going to have that we don't already have in scripture or uh, have thought about previously about God? But there was a lot in here that, that was packed in. It's, it's kind of taking all of these uh, principles that we've learned along the way up the ladder and just kind of really developing those in, in uh, really new and, and meaningful ways. It's been fun. Um, <laughs> <so funny. laughs> we have this running joke. So <laughs> my, my mom doesn't cough until the pressure's on. And so she's, everyone can hear. And now she's like sitting over there trying to squelch coughing. She has a, a chronic cough and she's very nervous about it all the time. <laughs> so anyway, um, she's not the only one Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got the flu a couple of years ago and I don't know. I just, I have a cough when I, when it gets too warm or dry. And mm -hmm. so don't tell her to feel bad. It's other people <laughs> have it too. It, it's such an interesting thing. Not that this is part of the lesson, but um, like COVID was, was a really hard year for, for that. Right. I mean, I mean, you can't cough in, in public. You can't do anything like that. And uh, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go back to the temple, but it's like, uh that's going to be really hard everyone's going to be looking and <laughs> yeah i know and it gets to be allergy season yeah exactly uh, <laughs> anyway we're navigating some weird <laughs> times but yeah we promise she doesn't have covid but <laughs> all right um let's see I'm going to throw out the question and then I'll answer it, but anyone's uh, welcome to, to jump in. But what was something either new or explained better for uh, for learning uh, in this chapter that you hadn't previously considered or, or it might have been just a whole new concept? Um, I found I have two or three that were uh, really interesting ones. Um, so my first one was the idea that when um, when sin occurs against another person, the restitution or the the taking on of covenant curses doesn't happen on our level that we're currently on. It happens against who we sin against. Um, so there on page like 264, 265, somewhere, um, trying to find exactly where, where it says it, but um, I, I think the very last line on 264, it says, but to compensate a person who has been wronged, one must do so on the level of the injured party. He must make restitution in kind, which was kind of a new concept for me. I I've been kind of thinking about that all week and uh, trying to fit that in my current paradigm and, and uh, kind of see where it took me. But um, I find that, that that it's such a true statement. It resonates on, on lots of different levels. For example, uh, let's just take one of our, our strong uh, sins, like murder. Yeah. You know, if you are if you happen to murder somebody else in self-defense, it's a lot easier to repent and, and everything of that type of transgression and get baptized into the church versus murdering uh, innocent blood, you know, shedding innocent blood. Like, that's really hard to come back from, uh, to, to make restitution for that and, and, and baptize into, into the church. So um, just kind of applying that same principle to all sins, uh, it's not necessarily the, uh, 
the, the restitution part of it is restitution based upon the level of the person that we sinned against. And, and that was just a, a totally new concept to me. I had never considered that before, um, but I find that it, it seems to to check out and, and, and play into um, the, the things that I've been studying. So just extending that out to, to you guys, what was, was uh, a good paradigm shift for you this week or, or things that you learned in this chapter that um, might've been new or reframed uh, how you see a, a certain topic? There was a lot in this chapter, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, one thing that I kind of starred that I thought was really cool that I'd never thought about was, was the, the order of, as things get rise in spiritual level, level they become more one. Um, on, let's see, 282 at the very top, it says, the movement in unison of larger heavenly bodies and the lower nature of rogue entities, such as comets, asteroids, and dust, parallel the oneness of higher spiritual levels and the chaotic character of the lower ones. And I just thought that was a really cool uh, imagery of, you know, like atoms and dust and things that just move in chaos all the time. And, and the more, um, divine we get and and the larger you know closer to god we get with with all of these um materials i guess or lack of a better word that you know they move more as one and become more as one and and i thought that was really that was just really cool to me i'd never thought of that before so mm -hmm. yeah for sure and i really like that figure there on that page figure 118 um yeah where it's talking about that moon circling around it that the moon obeys the laws of the earth and the earth obeys the laws of the sun and and on, on up that you know the pattern of this ladder is literally everywhere i just hadn't noticed it before yeah totally <laughs> i love it all right anyone else uh want to share uh, i think cameron this is l the thing that stood out to me was right at the beginning, well, not right at the beginning, well, it was two pages on 266 and 267, that just as like, I don't know, it just struck me. It says, while we may be the object of God's creation, we aren't its center, God is. In other words, our lives revolve around God, not the reverse. And I thought, wow, <laughs> if that isn't, because sometimes we do think of the life revolves around us and our families you know and our friends exactly but i thought that was interesting i'd never heard it put that way about you know our life is supposed to revolve around god not ourselves and or our you know other people mm -hmm. thought, wow <laughs> i just like the way he phrased it it was a refreshing way to see it yeah, for sure. I, I find so much that I'm very myopic in, in some of my things. Like, I think about myself first and then branch out. Like, as soon as I get all of my garden planted, then I can go help and, and minister to other people kind of thing. Versus the, the opposite of what we need to be doing. We need to be putting God first, seeing what he wants to do, and, and filling in the rest kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's a hard, it's something that you really have to wrap your head around <laughs> a little bit because we do we think about ourselves or all the checklists of things we have to do during 
the day and it's like yeah exactly okay i had several things yeah where do we start <laughs> okay so on page 290 the most high god reserves reverses the curse of death this is actually a question i've had for a long time i actually wrote mike stroud about it too um i've had this for like four years um In it, it talks about Christ, Jehovah being God in the preexistence. So my question I wrote on the side was, was Christ not a spirit in the preexistence? And how did he become a God? Great questions. <laughs> Thoughts, anyone? <laughs> Mike only asked me questions. He didn't answer it. You know, <laughs> like it says somewhere in, in here, those that um, have ascended, have seen the cosmic visions are the ones least likely to, to talk about it. I, I don't know. That, that one's a, a hard one to nail down and get an answer on. Okay. Guess I won't get an answer tonight. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. On page 302 at the bottom paragraph, should we die in this sinless state? God will resurrect us on the Zion Jerusalem level. But if we fall away and return to our sins, we must repeat the repentance process until by living the lesser law. Okay. So is Avraham saying that we all are in a Jacob Israel state now? Interesting. Okay. I'm trying to put this back into the context of, of what it was talking yeah. about. Which page is that again? 302, and it's the bottom paragraph, the first sentence. And the paragraph above kind of talks about it. Repentance, in turn, is the essence of living the lesser law that prepares us for rebirth as Zion Jerusalem and redeem, redeems us from the fall and its evil effects. When we attain that sinless and innocent state, we are saved in the sense that Isaiah and the New Testament writers def, uh, define salvation. To that definition, however, Isaiah adds physical deliverance from mortal danger, particularly in the last days. That sounds like us. So is that, that's why I was like, wait, is Abraham saying we're all in that Jacob Israel state? Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So as we look at like the progression of the earth, maybe he's talking uh, the, the earth as a whole, because um, it, we talked about this in, in a couple of the other groups, but the earth goes through the same process that, that we do, right? It had to have baptism, et cetera. And so when it started out on a paradisiacal state, we, we assume that that is the, the, the seraphim level, and then it falls to the Babylon level as it uh, condescends, and then it, it goes to the Jacob Israel level with its baptism, its Zion Jerusalem level when it's uh, cleansed by fire, etc. on up. Uh, maybe that's kind of what he's talking about, like us as a whole, but... Uh, I don't know, because, you know, throughout this whole chapter, it talks about, especially a lot of the prophets, a lot of the chosen ones, that that we, um, that not all 
start out on the Jacob Israel level. Some are, are born uh, higher up on the ladder uh, because of their, their blessedness and the pre-existence kind of thing. So I have a hard time thinking that, that that's exactly what he's meaning, but I don't know. I, I really want to ask him that question now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, which leads me then, I wasn't going to say it, but on page 296, from these things, we can conclude that Jehovah, when fulfilling the role of a proxy savior to deliver his people from death, would one, be a firstborn, two, be innocent in the prime of his life, be three, be slain by the shedding of blood, and four, be a Davidic king. Okay, not exactly all of those, but most of those also, I think, describe Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Was he, was he acting as a savior? I, Not I the savior, so. but a savior. Mm -hmm. I, I think so. As we're, we, we learned from the past three chapters that from son saviors on up, they, they all act as proxy Mm -hmm. saviors deliverers on on different levels they have different types of saving that they're doing but but yeah i think joseph smith is, is very much uh, and we talked about president nelson being kind of that right now right yeah. but i just felt like joseph was even more i guess because he was martyred right yeah it seems like that on the seraph level there that that, that martyrdom the uh the ability to to lay one's life down like he could have escaped it. I mean, he could have ran away, et cetera, but he really- well, he did. He did run away. Yeah. Uh, goes to, a, uh, like, a lamb to the slaughter to, to willingly uh, choose uh, the, that path, martyrdom, to, to seal his life with his blood and become that, that savior. And he, and he said that, right? I'm going as a lamb to the slaughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was kind of like- um, I don't think he said that lightly. I think he meant something when he said that, right? Okay, here's my last one. I saved the best for last. <laughs> okay. Page 272. I just was like having, going, holy cow. Okay, everybody's heard Jody talk, right? Mm -hmm. I've kind of like listened to her. I haven't made any conclusions for myself. I've just put it there to see how it feels. So as I was reading this, it came through. Oh, I got, no, I got another one too. On whatever levels are born on this earth, their mortal nature enables them to rise higher by overcoming evil. There's more though. I wrote it right there. Anyways, did anybody else feel like he was talking about multiple mortal probations? Let's go on to the next one. Creation and recreation are a cyclical process. Recreation accounts for the existence of lower life forms and how these increase in intelligence as they live out their lives. It puts the whole phenomenon of our performance in a bigger context than just ourselves on this earth in a sea of cosmic marvels. So, and then just a little higher above that, a key to understanding God's creation and the whole of life the nature of God and our relationship to him is God's recreation of us as we ascend to heaven. <laughs> so then the question that I wrote on the side was, were we lower life forms in a previous life? Is that what that's saying? Interesting. 
I, I didn't read it like that, but I'm trying to uh, read it in that context. Because I know someone that was propounding that theory in a younger life of mine um, and was excommunicated for teaching it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've heard lots of people <laughs> in, in that kind of a scenario. I know. Well, that's why I was like, well, okay, so the next pair, the second paragraph starts out. But he, I think he's talking about how Heavenly Father went through this cycle. We'll go through the cycle. Our offspring will go through the cycle. Um, the earth goes through the cycle. Not that we individually go through it multiple, the same thing over and over. Um, you're, that, that'd be reincarnation, and that's definitely not the case. Right, and that's why I was reading this going, okay, what's, I'm totally confused, because right here I thought, is he saying that we were lower life forms or is he referring to us as lower life forms as we're lower on the ladder? Yes, that's what I understand. Yeah, that's what I took out of it. But... Okay, because I was just like, whoa, 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 hold on. So like in, in the margin here, I have kind of in that vein saying, um, I have it written that, so we can go to the endowment and uh, every time that we go through, we can look at it in a new paradigm. So we might view the endowment on the Jacob Israel level. Then we might go back uh, the next time and, and look at it from a Zion Jerusalem perspective and, and everything because the pattern, the cyclical nature of it applies on each level of the ladder that we're on. We have the same steps to, to, to proceed on, on each level of the ladder. It's a, uh, a new recreation. Anytime that we're recreating, it's not ex nihilio out of nothing but we, we get a new name with a new purpose on a higher level um, and kind of putting our, our old selves behind. You know, just like when we ascend uh, in, on the Israel level and, and get baptized, we're actually reenacting our death and burial and a resurrection on a new higher plane kind of thing. That's how I looked at that, that cyclical nature there and, um, and kind of our progress up the ladder uh, recreating on, on each one. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, when I was reading it, I was like, whoa, wait, hold on, <laughs> hold on. But then I also think that reincarnation, Satan mimics everything that God does. Is that what the reincarnation is, is the mimicking of God's pattern, right? Yeah. Cause I, I, I know reincarnation's false. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, like like Neil said, I, I know of lots of lots of people that have gotten X because of of those things, and they're perpetuating those. Um, you know, even down to to like the Daybells. You know, they were those multiple multiple mortal probations uh, theories and stuff. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. But but like you just said, um, that that Satan's counterfeit, that reincarnation, taking a, a truth and just twisting it enough that that it can send send us off a, a different direction kind of thing. And when I said we're lower life forms, I'm not talking about like we were on this earth as a lower life form. I'm talking about in our progression from intelligence mm -hmm. where we are now. Does that make sense? It's like more of an eternal. And then I was like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I have a question. Um, on page 271, uh, it talks about in the middle of it talks about what we're just talking about now 
and the earth lies in higher uh, levels, higher than Jacob, Israel attained those levels before birth. And then in the next paragraph, it says, and the uh, ideas accords with the New Testament that God foreknew his elect people and also predestined them. So obviously, you know, we don't believe in predestination per se. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe in foreordination, but not predestination. So I'm trying to wrap my hands around that. Obviously, there's certain people in the pre-existence who obtained clearly greater status and, and were elect more than some of us in the pre-existence. I'm convinced of that. Uh, but to be predestined that no matter what happens, that you're going to end up doing this in this life, that just is not doctrine that we believe. Mm -hmm. I thought he was, because then he quoted a scripture that used that word. So I thought he was just using it from that scripture, but I read it as for ordination. Then that was me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just curious as to why he put it in quotes, predestined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then later on, the next page is talks in a, in a real sense, God elect resembles Jesus, who was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So that makes total sense, right? Mm -hmm. And the next one says, Jesus foreordination before the earth was created to fulfill the role of suffering the Savior. I mean, so that all comes in line, uh, you know, with what I've been taught. And then the figure 1114 talks about foreordination. So I don't know why he threw predestined in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it almost seems like the, the quotes that he put on 271 is to reference the, the Romans 8, but in quotes, because, you know, that's a term that we don't use. It, you know, it's kind of like a, a mistranslation because it, it has a lot of different context. Okay. But, yeah, um, that makes sense. What I uh, wrote down here in my margins was the, the fact that when we get our calling and election sure, you know, we're, we still have the ability to fall. I mean, we, you know, there, there's sin on, on each level. There's that danger. If you do sin against it, that, that you can still fall. But when we get our calling and election sure, he knows that we're going to do his will. Uh, like we, we've proven ourselves kind of thing, but we know that there have been higher level people that, that still can fall. But the predestination seems kind of like another way to, to say calling an election. So like uh, in the pre-existence, Christ, through all of his righteousness and um, his actions, predestined or made his calling an election sure that he could fulfill that mission and that he would do the Father's will at, at all hazards, that he had a destiny to perform, not that there was absolutely no way that he could fall because I think that that's always a, a possibility. I, I'm not talking savior. I'm talking all of us predestination, but that we, we rise to that kind of a stature where um, the, the spirit can, can ratify and, and make our, our election sure kind of thing. But I don't know that that was a, a mouthful that probably <laughs> wasn't at all clarifying, but um, that's how I look at the word predestination it is kind of a, a substitute word for, for calling an election. So then I, I have a question. So it seems like some of us come at different levels than others. 
correct? Does that mean that we ascend and descend in the pre-existence? Great question. I, I believe so. Yes, I believe so. That's my understanding. We okay. had the ability to progress there and and part of what we're you know here for is because we've reached certain levels um, and we have the ability to progress after this life as well. It's easier to progress in this life than it was before or after, but progression is still possible. So do we also progress, ascend and descend in the millennium? As I understand it, until the thousand years is ended and the final judgment, that's to give everybody the chance to progress to the level that they are capable of and comfortable getting to. And many won't progress because they're not comfortable at a higher level. Right. And that's kind of the way that when I came into the church as a teenager, it really thrilled me about the fact that this is the only church that teaches that no matter where you live, what time frame you live, the Old Testament, New Testament, or even in the millennium, everyone will have that chance to understand the gospel. And for them to make a choice, a decision as to what is the, um, you know, what they want to do. No one's going to be forced, but at the same time, everyone will understand. And to me, that's a huge difference between Latter-day Saints and any other religion in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the first time that I uh, even thought about that, because it, it's not something that usually crosses my mind, but was when I was reading The Infinite Atonement by Tad Callister, when he said that the, the atonement was retroactive, and essentially it, it covered the sins that we made in the pre-existence as well, so that we could um, progress and send them, et cetera. Oh, sorry, Cindy's raising her hand. I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, it We actually had this discussion in our Come Follow Me just this last Sunday uh, with my husband and my daughter and I. Um, there was a scripture in our Come Follow Me this last week, and I don't have my scriptures right in front of me, so I can't remember which one it was, was but it said something about... Um, it was about agency, and, th and then it said, in this life and in death. And so I kind of had a question about that. And so we kind of discussed that. And we came to the conclusion that, that yes, you can still, it's still possible to sin after you die. And, you know, obviously before you came here too. Um, so agency, I mean, we still have our agency even after we leave this earth. So we still have to, to you know make sure we're keeping the commandments and doing what we should be doing even even after we die so that that's a really interesting concept and it did come up and come follow me with that that one scripture so Cindy are you talking about 6139 pray always that you enter not into temptation that you may abide the day of his coming whether in life or in death I think that was it yeah uh-huh that, that really struck me too 6139, Doctrine and Covenant 6139. Actually, it was just this last week. So let me run and get my scriptures and I'll can find that, that it. Oh, that's this week. But yeah, very interesting. I mean, that scripture, I've heard it how many times, but I, I've never really picked that apart, the and death mm -hmm. part. Yeah, I remember yeah. them talking about it also and come follow me. 
I like I like using my actual scriptures be more than my phone. So <laughs> me too. Okay, let's see. Oh, that's hold on. Um well, last week was only two chapters, right? Or two right. so it's and I know I marked it, so Well, I might have to look for, oh, here it is. It's uh, 58 um, verse two, for verily I say unto you, blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death. Mm. And he that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. So I, that just struck me and I marked that, um, whether in life or in death. And I thought, well, you know, we have to keep the commandments when we, in death too, and not just in life. So kind of along the same lines as what we we're talking about, so. Yeah, for sure. Those are great. I think it was something Stefan was saying that, was it you Stefan about, it's what made you join the church. Yes. And we talked about that we can uh, repent in the next life. And on that page 312 at the bottom, it says like everyone else, those of Babylon who pass into the next life arrive there on the level they were in this life. They remain in that disagreeable society until they recognize that repentance is their only way out. The hell they choose for themselves with all who live there used to oppressing uh, one another, remain their home until at last they acknowledge Jehovah and turn their lives around. So we were just saying that it might be difficult for them to do that, right? And here it says they are with those that are just like them and that makes it even more difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, but Cindy, I like that. I like that scripture, 58 too. So there was a talk years ago by the LDS Institute director in Salt Lake City uh, Institute, David Christensen. And he had a talk that called uh, The Healing Arms of Jesus. I don't know if anyone's ever had this, but I've asked my daughter to go with her to the BYU library mm -hmm. so I can go get it because they have it in the... Uh, um, and a special collection there. I can't find it anymore. But basically it says, and, and there's scriptures to back this up, that if it gets go awry in this world and you keep the covenants that the, that the tentacles of the church, and that's how they talk about it, will wrap around them being in this life or the next life and bring them back and they will come back into the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we, me and my mom uh, took his class at Education Week and he reiterated that. But that's what the ceiling power is all about, that we can actually descend into the depths of hell and, and rescue our children through our faithfulness. And now through this uh, seven uh, level ladder kind of paradigm shift is like, oh, this is exactly what it's all about. The Davidic covenant, the, uh, the proxy saviorship, etc. That's exactly what the ceiling power is all about. Uh, making those covenants to save others 
yeah, so the question is, what they don't answer is, how long, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> maybe and, and maybe that's why we talk about eternities in plural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, it nothing eliminates agency even after this life. It has to be their choice to ascend. And so that ceiling power is going to be huge in order to, to, to rescue them and actually make them want to be rescued. You know, that, that's a huge shift that has to come when, when we've lived so long under our privileges kind of thing. And he said it had to be done as couples. Yeah, uh, David Christensen said that it had to be done as couples. That's why the, it's reserved for the ceiling power. We're not given that during the endowment, for example. So, so is that ceiling power actually like the key that allows us to go and rescue those people, those it's family a, members? It's a covenant, right. It's a covenant. It's not so much that you're, I mean, how do you say this? You know, it, it's not so much that you're eternally married. It's the, the actual covenant that binds you. And that that's the covenant is what allows that, that eternal unit. Right, but I'm saying, is it that covenant, that ceiling power? Because I've always kind of struggled with that ceiling power, like how to define that to go to, to rescue and how it pulls those others in, because I know they need to have their agency and I've struggled with it. So then now as we're talking, I'm wondering, is it like, if you don't have that ceiling, then you don't have the key to go rescue your family member because you're really not a family. Mm -hmm. But with that ceiling power, now you, it's, it's like, now you have that stewardship. Maybe that's the right word rather than key. You mm -hmm. have that stewardship given to you. And that's what allows you to go rescue those family members. Yeah. And so like with the, uh, on the sun servant level and seraphim level, like, um, with the example of like King Hezekiah. So King Hezekiah was uh, uh, performing the covenant for those below him and Isaiah was a step above him and was making a covenant for him. And so that ceiling power also ripples down so that we're, we're making covenants all the way down our generations. And, and if one link is broken, it doesn't mean that all is lost, all generations after. It's just that, that the, the next person has to to make a covenant and, and rescue and and save kind of thing it is how i understand it anyway i don't know okay and just i mean we have a daughter that's sometimes a little wayward and uh bishop gave us an article because of uh you know the concept that because you're sealed they'll be saved and it was in the enzyme and it basically said that they have their free agency and while the sealing power is helpful they still have free agency and there's, you know, they have to make that choice. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to save them. Mm -hmm. And there's a business saying that says all people given the, the same amount of information, if people are given the same amount of information, they will all come to the same conclusion. So if, if that's true and they come to because of love, which is what 
I love about what you said about stewardship because I just talked about that last Sunday. Um, stewardship, if we do it right, really allows us to love them to the point where they feel that love and that they want to change and that they, they may not want to change for, you know, who knows, a thousand years, right? But the reality is eventually they will feel that love and maybe not everyone's going to, like Neil says, uh, do that. But boy, I'd be surprised if not the majority of people who are in that ceiling power when they're loved correctly aren't going to want to have that love in their life for eternity. When I, when my son left the church shortly after he got home from his mission, I just prayed and prayed, what do I do? What do I do? And that was the answer was just love him. Just love him. Mm-hmm. That's when I became the cheerleader mom. <laughs> That's always been my answer too. I've had several children leave the church and when I, you know, I pray for them constantly and that's always the answer I get is just love yep. them. Mm-hmm. Just love them. Yep. Yeah. Um, on page 313, that second or that last full paragraph at the end. I love that because time on lower level levels moves much slower than on higher ones. Those who ascend advance faster than ho- those who delay ascending. So the more you ascend, the faster you ascend, which I guess is kind of a blessing because in order to ascend, you have to descend. So then the descent isn't as long either. I didn't think about that part. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this chapter, I was just like, oh my God, like I don't usually write in the margins. And this one, I was just writing all over going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. There's lots of new things to think about here. So that just made me think of something that I hadn't thought about before. You know, as you study the second coming in the latter days, you, you know, you, you, you read all sorts of things. But one thing that comes clear is it's not going to be an easy time. And President Nielsen has said that point blank. Mm-hmm. That there will come a time where even being a Latter-day Saint is going to be difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And, but I've never really pegged that until just right now as that that's our descension to ascend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least part like of that, that process. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like those three tests of loyalty on the some servant level. Uh, there's the political persecution, ecclesiastical persecution, and um, the, the removing of idols. And, you know, I, I think some of that political persecution, uh, being just members of the churches, uh, we know with Antichrist prophecies, etc., that, you know, we're going to come under a lot of, well, a lot of heat there. But really it's for our own good and, and we can ascend if we we choose to, to keep our covenants through that and, and everything but yeah i i like that idea of advancing faster <laughs> have you cameron or anybody has you seen the science experiment i ha, i don't remember it i think i posted it a while back i think when we were in the abraham group mm-hmm. and i can't remember but he has like a track where he puts a ball on it and it has descends in it and higher and as it descends it rises higher and faster 
So it creates more momentum when we descend and we do rise higher and faster as it goes. And so it's kind of a, a physical a law of physics, I think. Mm -hmm. And you'll have to go, I think it might be in the Abraham group. I'm not sure where I posted it. And I don't remember the, the science thing, but it was, it's on YouTube, but I think it's somewhere on learning Zion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Like if you have uh, something in motion, just on a, uh, just a, a flat line or whatever, like uh -huh. it's so fast, but, but if you have a descent, it can really shoot up really quickly. Um, it, you know, <laughs> thinking back playing with like little Hot Wheels cars and stuff. I mean, yeah, you, you get it going and stuff. That's exactly how uh, the speed can, can come in. Uh, flat just doesn't get you very. Uh, so I think it's a, a physical law, you know, a law of physics, which apply to us <laughs> too. Which makes me think of how we're told in the scriptures, was it Doctrine and Covenants, that the time will speed up for yeah. our sake. Is that why the time speeds up? Because there's more righteous? I mean, those that are righteous are more righteous. Those that aren't, maybe the time doesn't speed up for them. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, along that, that same thing, how we can, um, yeah, butchering that, the phrasing on this, but like hasten the second coming, you know, like uh, sometimes we're in, in danger of delaying the second coming because of our unrighteousness, you know, like that the time moves slower because of, of that. But if we if we're righteous, time actually speeds up and, and it comes faster. Does that make sense? I don't know if that mm -hmm. was kind of a mumble jumbo, but it I always quite understood yeah. that before. I always wondered about that, but then I read something, I don't know if it was by Bruce Armour Conkey or something that said that there's an appointed time that Christ will come and we can't do anything to hasten it or make it go slower. So mm -hmm. but I think Right. I don't always believe Bruce R. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has said that, but I can't remember. But I remember something. So I've always wondered that if we can make it go slower or faster, or if it's just an appointed time and we can't change it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't even wonder if it's part of our righteousness, right? Go uh, ahead, Cindy. No, you're fine. <laughs> I should have raised my hand, but even if there is an appointed time, we can move slower or faster towards that appointed time. Mm -hmm. No, you know, no, um, depending on our level, mm -hmm. even if there still is an appointed time. So there still could be an appointed time. We're just moving slowly or quickly towards that appointed time. Mm -hmm. So that also oh. makes me think of the Jewish wedding, how the, Bride, bridegroom goes to prepare the mansion and nobody knows when the mansion's going to be ready not even i want to say not even the father because he doesn't know what the son's going to do right and but it's the father that finally announces that the mansion's ready so mm -hmm. is i don't know i don't know how that fits in but i just started thinking of that mm -hmm. so is there something that accelerates does he prepare it faster as we get more righteous or does he take longer because he's waiting for us to be more righteous mm -hmm. i think it definitely has to, to do with that and and also family history too you know like otherwise the earth would be utterly wasted at this coming mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, 
when when it's all done, then then we can hasten that. Mm -hmm. so, talking about the earth, on page three thirteen, this really gets me thinking, uh, because ultimately the earth itself ascends to the sun servant level, that being the chief purpose of its creation. I thought, oh my goodness, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So then my question is, well, what's our chief purpose of our creation? I sure, sure hope it's not the Zion Jerusalem level, right? <laughs> and then to add confusion, uh, it says the earth's tra physical transformation keeps pace with the spiritual ascent of its inhabitants. Well, we all know that the earth is becoming the celestial kingdom, right? The sea of glass, correct? Right. So eventually it's going to be the celestial kingdom with, of course, the celestial people, right? Three degrees of glory. So eventually it's going to go all the, I mean, it's, I don't know, am I just reading this wrong? Doesn't it eventually go higher than the Zion Jerusalem level? Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, well, it says it ascends to the sun servant level and that the Zion Jerusalem category must ascend with it or in the end go someplace else. So it's not in a Zion Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. No, no, that. So that I get because anything below the Zion Jerusalem level, you know, they're, they're gone, right? Mm -hmm. So it's everything above the zion jerusalem and above that has the power to ascend but eventually if that's a purpose of it of it was to ascend to the zion uh to the sun servant level but eventually it becomes a celestial kingdom so what i'm saying is is that that may be its purpose but is that really its final end and its final purpose mm -hmm. yeah that, that's very interesting so um like when we talk about the Davidic covenant or even just priesthood, for example, when um, like sun servant level and you advance to seraphim, you're still doing the things that are done on the sun servant level. Uh, likewise, when uh, we're ordained a priest, we still do the functions of a teacher and a deacon, uh, kind of a, that imagery there. So the earth itself ascends to the sun servant level, meaning um, like Avraham talks about here, that's the first level of blessedness because um, uh, he talks about the three levels of blessedness and, and that's the first one that we finally enter into that blessedness. Even though we might advance higher, our, our goal is always to, to get to, to that state. We're never meant, uh, like the earth was never meant to just get baptized and then purged with fire and that's it. it it's meant to go higher than that kind of thing. Maybe that's Kind of what he's getting at. I don't know. It just um, made me think as all. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting here. Um, on page 311, this reminded me who, oh, I love this quote. I've written it down. Is it Spencer W. Kimball that said, when we turn our hearts, I don't remember exactly what it is, but we've already started the millennium in our home. Mm. Do you remember yeah. that quote when we've done these three things or whatever? Anyways, that paragraph in the middle at the end, it says God's covenant 
thus on sorry page 311 god's covenant thus paved the way for his people to banish death itself by doing away with transgression they could avert covenant curses and by averting covenant and by averting curses death could disappear god's people therefore could achieve immortality while living on the earth i just thought wow that's kind of the same thing and it's it's our our choice. I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. And then it went on to talk about the city of Enoch and Elijah. And, but I just thought that was really cool. It's kind of our choice, right? Mm -hmm. I guess as long as it's the will of the father, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes those people that are just so good, it feels like, I don't know if anybody else is feeling like this, but I'm just watching a lot of good, good people pass away in odd ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, it's almost like he's calling people home to get work done. I don't know if I've talked about my sister whose husband is 44 years old and passed away of lung cancer. And he'd never smoked, of course, never been around smokers. And she'd been trying to do his genealogy. That family line was bad. Like the people were just bad. And he started, he, re, he repented and started that change in that family dynamics. And, you know, like we talked about that it would be under the third generation and he just changed all of that. And um, she'd been trying to find that line. She's like, I would find like one name a month, maybe when he passed away. And it's just been a year now that he passed away. And almost immediately within just a few months, she found 10,000 names. And she said, I know it's because he went to the other side to teach those family members. He broke that chain and the Lord called him home to um, teach and bring his family to the gospel. Yeah. And it, I mean, that. Uh, that theme there is talked about on the sin servant chapter here where we're clearing those generational iniquities breaking Mm -hmm. the i mean because we have our own sins but we have those generational iniquities like you said that whole line is bad and so once that's broken that son servant level it means that there's somebody interceding on their behalf and and breaking that uh, getting repenting of those uh, iniquities for for generations and we see in family history how it just opens up when Mm. those things are cleared. So she was telling me she found the names, but in those, a lot of those records, they didn't identify him as male or female. And so she can't turn those names in yet until she can find other records that identify him as male and female. Mm -hmm. So anyways, but they're still working. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so one last thing that I wanted to, to hit on was on page 268 and 269, it talks about the idea of paradoxes in, in our learning here. So it says that we often learn more from resolving paradoxes than we can in any other way. That's by sorting out seeming contradictions. And so how have you seen that in your own learning and in the learning of those around you, whether for, for good or, or bad? I mean, you know, as we see many falling away from the church over paradoxes that, that they can't seem to work out. But um, 
do you find that that's a, a true principle across the board that, that paradoxes are, are how we learn kind of a thing or um, anyway what are what are your thoughts on that I, I have a few different topics in my margins and I have masks and vaccines I have polygamy and and uh, the the priesthood given to to African Americans. I think that those are, are grand paradoxes that we're having to deal with. And, um, you know, we, we see, like it says in the next paragraph, that, that God includes enough ambiguity in his revealed word to provide an out for those who, who don't want to, um, uh, who want to resist his invitation, like it says there. Um, and I, I see lots of different um, uh, sides to, uh, to that uh, equation there with paradoxes that some of my my best learning comes from from looking into paradoxes when something doesn't quite jive and mesh together that's when I spend the time to, to really focus on hearing him receiving the spirit and being taught from on high versus just you know casual learning you know learning facts and figures and and, and dates and stuff versus sorting through paradoxes. I, I find that that's how the Lord just loves to, to help teach us. Um, Elle posted uh, lots of great uh, gospel paradoxes in our other groups, um, but uh, <laughs> now that I'm, I'm saying that, I can't think of them off the top of my head. Um, we, like, like preparedness, you know, we need to prepare every needful thing, but then it all comes down to, to depending on the Lord, really. Um, we are saved um, uh, by grace, but, but we need to do works. And so like we have all of these gospel paradoxes that, that really help us uh, dive in and, and learn some of these, these principles. Anyway, anybody have anything on, on paradoxes? Well, Cameron, my initial thought when you asked about paradoxes is that it's a, it is a way that we learn more but I think it's also meant as a stumbling block mm -hmm. um, for those that aren't, aren't willing. Yeah. Um, and it's maybe that stumbling block is like a dissension and then overcoming it is the ascension. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the biggest thing when you say stumbling block that comes to mind is like Nephi, when he prays to, uh, to remove his stumbling blocks and, and just, you know, um, I, I think that that's what he's praying for. He, he's praying up the ladder, you know, to uh, turn those things into, um, turn his dissension into ascension so that he can exalt and, uh, and progress forward. Uh, I hadn't considered that before. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, there's, there's so much in this chapter to, to talk about, but um, any last topics or, or insights that you'd like to share from, from this chapter before we try to do. We've had some great conversations. Alethius hit us with some hard balls. <laughs> I love it was Avraham. I loved at the end, it was um, towards the end on um, 317 where um, that figure 133 and they talk about that that um, the savior doesn't come just one time uh, and that 
he comes when the arch tyrant cleanses the earth. He comes when the servant prepares the people to meet God. And he comes uh, as Jehovah to reign, a, a, you know, as salvation. And, and I thought that was really cool that um, those really represent three times when he, when he comes to the earth. Yeah, so that, as a composite event, like it, like it says there. I thought it was really funny. Ha ha, Satan. That again, you know, he tried to thwart Heavenly Father's plan by getting Adam and Eve to partake of the fruit, but he just fell right into that trap and advanced it. And we see that throughout all time. And then at the end, he thinks, I'm going to get rid of everybody. And, you know, and I've, I've taken all the riches of the world and everything. And really what he's done is caused Heavenly Father's people to rely on him. And he's cleansed the earth of all the wicked to make, to leave the righteous, to make the way for the savior to return. Right. Like mm -hmm. poor guy, he just can't catch a break. <laughs> all he needs to do is repent <laughs> and he won't, he's too prideful. Right. But he just keeps trying to thwart and he just falls right in to helping heavenly father. And it's kind of like making those weaknesses strengths, right? Like, um, I don't know. He doesn't make Satan's weakness strength, but he uses Satan's weaknesses as strengths. Mm -hmm. yeah. What's really helped me is the law of the harvest and knowing that the wheats and the tares will grow together until it's time for the harvest and until it's time for, you know, Jesus to come again. And sometimes we complain about all the terrible things around us but we have to realize that's part of the plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and in a sense, like you just said, you know, it, it gives a false hope to Satan that he's winning. Mm -hmm. Where in the end, he's falling straight into the plan. And I love where the uh, Pearl Great Price says that he did not know the plan. Uh, Satan did not know the plan. And I love that piece because, you know, he was cast out of heaven and before the plan and everything, you know, before everything got finalized. And, and so that's why it helps me to, to say, okay, you know, this is really bad, or this is going to be really bad, but hang in there because you have to understand and have faith. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Well, I just have one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> It's a trick question. <laughs> we only have one more chapter left. Are we going to be done? <laughs> yes. So we're going to, after Isaiah decoded, we're actually going to go through the book of Isaiah and, and actually get Isaiah's words. Um, we're going to be following the, the bifid structure that Avraham talks about there in chapter one. Um, so the, the chapters will seem a little out of order, but it's talking, it's going through the chiastic structure of the book of Isaiah. Um, after that, though, I, I've been asking the other groups and stuff, what book recommendations would you like to, to continue on with after Isaiah? Um, uh, where, where do we want to go? There's, there's so many different directions. Um, some of the ones that have been thrown out, um, or at least some of mine, um, the Triumph of Zion, uh, uh, studying Mary Magdalene, um, the School of the Prophets has really been on my mind lately. 
um, with lectures on faith and kind of doing an, an overall study of that, especially with uh, Doctrine and Covenants, come follow me. Actually, pres didn't President Nelson tell us to study that? I don't know. Did he? If, if so, I... Am I the only one remembering that? And so that means that maybe I made it up in my mind. I don't know. I was thinking somebody told us to study lectures on faith. Maybe it wasn't President Nelson. Mm -hmm. Cameron did for the Abraham Club. Uh -huh, that was, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's been, I think a lot of people have said that that's really important to study. I know I bought it and I read it and I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But I didn't feel like I really learned anything. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and as I've read this Isaiah book, I think I would have just read it and said, well, of course, of course, of course. But without you guys, I wouldn't have studied it as like I wouldn't have gotten as much out of it. I would have just been, yeah, I know that. I know that. And it wouldn't have because it not. I know that because I'm so smart, but I know that because it's familiar and it's like, yeah. And then I just wouldn't have dived a little deeper. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I find that reading lots of different books recently after different people's perspectives and, and everything is like oh, I, I'm starting to, to learn um, at a more advanced speed because of, of you guys and, and all of your insights and things that you bring to the table there. It's not only this book, but, but everything gets greatly enhanced. Are there any good books about uh, Revelations that anybody knows about? Like the book of Revelation? Mm-hmm. Good question. I, I, I've read a few, but I, I haven't really gained a, a lot out of them. Revelation <laughs> decoded. <laughs> I, yeah. Stefan, it's waiting for you to write it. Uh, I am so not smart enough. <laughs> Maybe that's what we do. We all write a book together. <laughs> Revelation. But yeah, that, that's a great topic. Neil, do you know any of those books on Revelations? Not anyone specific. It's always, you know, somebody takes this chapter or this verse and chops it up and, and ties it in and somebody else does another one, but I don't know any one book that goes through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll get looking on that. That would be, that would be fun. But yeah, um, I'll probably ask that for the next little while. And, you know, if you, you come across any books and stuff, we'll, we'll do that. Um, I don't know. Triumph design was was always my my first go to that I wanted to do, but it's a good one. Yep. Uh, we might tackle it next. I don't know. We'll we'll see. So we're just gonna use the scriptures next time. Uh huh. Yes. So there's not a book that we need. There's not a book that you need, but if you do want the commentary on it, let me find it real quick. So I bought a book called Isaiah Made Simple by Abraham Gilead. I have that one as well. And did it work? Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't read it yet. That's why. I haven't read it yet, yeah. <laughs> but I also, he also has one that I got. It's actually his translation of Isaiah. Yes. What, what is yeah. that called? Uh, I, let me go get it. I don't remember. I think he has his translation of Isaiah online, doesn't he? 
Uh, there's and, and he also has an app, an app with his translation, and you can compare it to the King James version right side by side. Oh. I think he but, has that online though, because I was studying that and I he, yeah, he had, you can you can yeah. get it on his uh, Isaiah Institute, but he has an app now. It's pretty new, actually. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I've seen you right. I remember that. Okay, it is the Book of Isaiah, analytical translation with comprehensive comprehensive concordance, and there's also the Book of Isaiah, a new translation with interpretive keys from the Book of Mormon. I got both of those. <laughs> Because I, I want to keep going with Isaiah, but yeah, for sure. So um, I just like to two links. So the first one is uh, IsaiahExplained.com, and this mm -hmm. is where he's got all of the chapters, and they have all of the, um, what I call it, like uh, word links. That's what he uses. It has all of the word links, so that anytime you come across a word that's repeated throughout Isaiah, you can click on it and see all of the different times that it's there. Um, that was his first website, the Isaiah Explained. Um, that was before the Isaiah Institute. Um, this one is very much a, I, I think it, it's meant to be like a non-denominational, it's meant to be for a broader audience there, um, but it has his whole uh, translation and his apocalyptic commentary on there. But if you want his apocalyptic commentary in text, um, he has this uh, apocalyptic commentary of the book of Isaiah, and it goes um, just verse by verse. It takes every verse and then has a paragraph uh, explaining that verse kind of thing and how it plays into everything. Um, and then the, the one thing that we will be using, and I'll highly encourage everybody to, to go there each week, is to use the Isaiah Explorer, which is that second link that I sent you. Um, so it's isaiah.scripture.guide. Um, it's not a .com or anything like that. isaiah.scripture.guide. And it is amazing to study the Isaiah with all of the different translations of the Bible, with chiastic structure, etc. Let me show you my screen really quick. Um, so this is the Isaiah Explorer. I'm not sure exactly who built it, but it was somebody uh, that, that works closely with Abraham with, with things. So you can um, look at Isaiah with lots of different structural uh, views. So you can look at it from Isaiah's seven-part structure, for example. So here's part one, part two, part three, part four, etc. Or you can change that and look at um, like the hero's journey, for example. So all of Isaiah can be broken down into three main parts, the departure, the initi initiation, and the return. Uh, you can look at it from the Zion ideology, uh, et cetera. Anyway, that, that helps you break it down into all of the different ways people have studied Isaiah before. And then when you click on um, the different, oh, just a second, where am I clicking on? Oh, over on the very right-hand side, the verse details. So as you're studying um, and, and moving throughout the verses, uh, it's over here and you can actually play the audio of that verse. Um, you can play the commentary on that verse. 
or if you click on the little olive in the, the top, you can actually bring up the, the Hebrew and, and look at the uh, actual Hebrew words and where that, that comes into play um, uh, throughout. Um, you can actually even view the, the facsimile of the, the Hebrew text as it's written on the scrolls. Um, anyway, it's an extensive tool that has greatly helped understand word by word, verse by verse, the, the book of Isaiah. Um, you can compare all of the different uh, translations side by side and click through them. So you can do like the NRSV versus the King James Version. Uh, the Hebraeus Press is what Abraham uh, publishes his under. But yeah, anyway. Uh, so those two links, super helpful. Um, oh, and then Rossanne uh, put that link for the, the app there that you can buy for, for Apple. I think it's like $4 or something like that. Totally worth it. I, I listen to um, his commentary all the time uh, through that app. It, it's really great as you're reading through. Um, so any other questions on Isaiah, etc. So next week we'll do chapter nine, and then the, the next week following that, uh, we'll be diving right into the the bifid structure. And uh, I'll be I'll have a, a good screenshot or or whatever uh, to to send you next time on exactly our um, schedule, which chapters each week, etc. That we'll we'll be studying. All right. Well, it's been fun. We'll see everyone next week. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.